electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Today, GDP and tech. Qualcomm shares are falling despite a beat as guidance comes in below estimates. Yet another CEO warning about the macro picture. Cristiano Amon will join us in just a few moments. Plus, another weaker number, and that's Meta. As bad as feared, stocks down almost 8%. Best Buy, Comcast, ServiceNow, all turning sharply lower. And confirming all that downbeat corporate guidance, GDP today comes in light. We'll get a first read on Q2, down 9 tenths. That's two quarters in a row of slowing growth. Although, John, we should point out other companies raising their guidance. There's a bit of a mix today. Yeah, more and more I'm looking ahead to Q4, right, because... Um, that, that's going to be so decisive in what directionally is really happening here. The messages are so mixed. We see the consumer light. That's reflected in uh, Qualcomm, lower-end handsets, not as popular. Uh, the, the forecast on lower-end coming in light, though you know, Qualcomm specializes in premium. But you got signals like that and what we got from Walmart earlier this week. I, I think it really depends to what extent the consumer shows up in Q4, to what degree there's inventory mm-hmm. overhang heading into next year, Julia. And uh, I'm sorry, Deirdre, Julia's not with us yet, but will be soon. <laughs> um, and, and what that means for revenues that are flowing through uh, to customers and into the economy. Um, so we're still several months out. Just like the definition of a recession, things are pretty confusing right now. We talk about consumer demand, and there's kind of opposing signals as well. There are pockets of strength in payments, as we've seen this week, with Fiserv and Visa. There's also travel, which remains strong, and autos. Um, But to your point, John... Q4, that is the big question, or even just the whole second half of the year, let's put it. Um, Can this be sustained, those pockets of demand? That's what everyone's trying to dig through right now to figure out in those guidance. What is it saying? And from some companies, we're getting more than others. I go back to Alphabet earlier this week, and sometimes the management there talks a little bit more about what they're seeing sort of in the current quarter. They didn't do that this time. So still a lot of questions out there as, you know, the Nasdaq tries to turn around that big gain. We talked about that as well, guys, yesterday. Um, questions now whether that was justified based on sort of some optimism on Fed policy. Yeah, uh, I jumped the gun a little bit, but now it really is Julia time. Let's talk <laughs> meta, get to the meat on meta. Julia Borston joins us looking at that. Hey, Julia. That's right, John. I'm here. And we're talking today about the end of an era for Meta with its first ever revenue decline as the company grapples with so many different issues and ad contraction. It's working to generate revenue from reels, which are actually currently a drag on its revenue. It's also doing this while pulling back spending and trying to pursue the long term opportunity of the metaverse. All of this is happening while management is in upheaval. Sheryl Sandberg leaving the COO role and David Weiner is stepping down as CFO. 
But with the stock down 58% in the past year, 70% of analysts have a buyer overweight rating on the stock. Goldman Sachs saying a reexamination of costs could lead to better earnings in the quarters ahead. And Wolf Research writing, quote, the company is making progress on product and monetization initiatives that should help drive share gains during post-downturn in the digital ad space. But meanwhile, Needham, with a rare sell rating on this stock, is cautious in the fact that Zuckerberg is talking about metaverse returns in 2030, saying, quote, at a time when Meta's revenue growth is slowing, it's metaverse investments to chase a goal that may or may not pay off many years from now is not where we recommend investors allocate capital in fiscal 2022. But it's worth remembering as Facebook tackles its near-term challenge of making money on reels, it has managed this kind of business transition before. Guys? Yeah, Julia, let me make the contrarian argument on Meta, on Facebook. I think too often we focus on what we think is likely to happen with a company based on history and the factors we know, and we don't pay enough attention to what could happen based on capabilities. And users are still growing at Facebook and Facebook properties, meta properties, right? And engagement still decently high. Um, Zuckerberg still in charge, uh, highly engaged. The conversation has turned at least somewhat away from, uh, you know, things other than Facebook and Meta's business. I mean, they could monetize reels. I, I don't spend a ton of time looking at ads on social media, but I find myself looking at a lot of reels lately. Well, if you're looking at a lot of reels, that's why Meta is optimistic that they're going to be able to make money on all that time you're spending. But I would say, John, if 70 percent of analysts have a buy rating, maybe you're actually agreeing with all of those analysts and and that sort of Wall Street consensus right now. But I think that, look, in terms of the management transition, they do have a lineup of people who are going to be taking over um, that have been at the company for a while. And, you know, Dave Wainer is going to be sticking around as an advisor. So there's some question about how much of an impact that will really be. I mean, certainly Sheryl Sandberg is a big loss for that company. But in terms of the business question, they have made money from so many different transitions, so many different products that started off just as a product with no revenue. So there is a sense uh, that they will be able to figure out how to make reels quite a profitable piece of the business. Yeah, Julia, I see a lot of reels as well, but not by choice. I'm with the Kardashians on this one. Get them off of my feed. I just want to see cute pictures of my friends again. Talking about the executive turnover departures, um, is it business burnout or is it Zuckerberg burnout? He has such a tight grip on the company. Is it possible that these people aren't feeling heard anymore as they try to accomplish so many different pivots? Well, I think that we cannot underestimate the fact that a lot of these executives, including Sheryl Sandberg, have been there for a very long time. If you've been at a company like Meta, formerly Facebook, through so many different challenges, both business challenges, but also reputational challenges. I mean, the fact that they had to deal with the the Facebook files and all of these different controversies, I, I just wouldn't underestimate how some of these executives are ready to take a break and maybe be in a less uh, less intense position. But just one more thought on the business transitions. One thing that's a lot less sexy than Reels is the opportunity to make money from messaging. And they talked about that yeah. a little bit last night. All the time people are spending on WhatsApp and Messenger, that is an opportunity for them to really turn that into new revenue and get businesses even more locked into the platform. So there's a, a less sexy business opportunity as well. That's true. And there's a lot of opportunity, but they're trying to capitalize on so many different ones while 
while the core business is kind of struggling. Julia, thank you. We're going to continue this discussion and bring in two analysts with buys, Bernstein's Mark Schmulik and Truist Yusef Squally. Um, Yusef, let's go to you first. What did you make of the quarter? Look, it wasn't as strong as, um, as we had uh, hoped or even um, uh, ultimately, I think they, they disappointed a lot of people, mostly with the guidance. But the quarter in of itself, I think, was almost honestly non-event. The issue now is the company is going through really a period of transition of two things. They're transitioning to reels. They're transitioning to metaverse. One is over in that short term, call it two to three years. The other is five to ten. So there are a lot of uncertainties. But, you know, we're still sticking to with it. On this one, I actually would um, agree with John. Uh, you know, Mark, I was actually I was just having a conversation with one of our uh, producers here in the bureau and, uh, you know, follows on Julia's uh, conversation over management change. What do you think is going on at the top? I mean, we hear often about the high profile like Sandbergs that are leaving, but a layer down, there's been a lot of departures as well, like Fiji Simo to Instacart. I mean, is this an issue of burnout or do you think that there's an issue with Zuckerberg's leadership and this pivot that he's trying to maybe force down other executives' throats? No, I, I don't think there's anything uh, like that going on. You know, I think that's uh, that's a narrative hunting for for a story. Uh, you know, I think we've seen a lot of rotation uh, just across the the entire tech sector in general. Um, you know, many folks moving around, certainly lots of layoffs taking place, opportunities emerging, unemerging. You know, we're, we're certainly seeing uh, perhaps, you know, to use kind of the old colloquial term of a wartime CEO emerging. Um, you know, and so for those that effectively joined when everything was on the up and up, uh, you know, might be slightly different operating environment. But as I think was mentioned earlier, um, you know, Zuck is incredibly engaged. And so he's being active about effectively reorganizing uh, the business uh, for the current operating environment that we're in. Mark, I thought it was interesting, um, your, your note today, uh, below the headline noise, we like what we see, maybe the only digital ad name with the guts to guide, the midpoint XFX stays in the black, expenses being reined in as requested. Um, does today's price action make sense to you in light of that? Uh, it does. You know, I mean, we, we always tend to, you know, in the internet space to circle around kind of big um, kind of round numbers. And so the very first kind of revenue decline in their history is going to make headlines. You know, a guide at the low end of minus 10% for a historic growth company, you know, certainly going to drive those, those negative headlines further. And, you know, we're, we're certainly slightly disappointed uh, with the guide. We would have loved to have seen it higher. Um, you know, but I, but I do think that a revenue decline, irregardless of where investors, you know, numbers were and mindset was, it, you know, is certainly going to drive uh, that, that pressure downward. And, and I think what it reflects is, you know, they are going through a pivot in their business. As, as you have mentioned, it's not just about monetization. It's also about the product um, and how folks use the product. And so underneath all of this transition, uh, you know, what you really want to see from this company is how do we come out the other side um, you know, of this. When do we get back to a growth story? When do these headwinds flip over into tailwinds? And we don't really have an answer to that yet. Uh, Yusuf, I've got a question on cost, particularly when it comes to headcount. I mean, I think we tend to lose track sometimes of exactly how much growth in that has happened at a company like Meta. Over the past couple of years, did they, what, double headcount? Um, and they're talking now not necessarily about cutting the overall headcount number, but shifting emphasis within that. What's your take on what that does or doesn't do to costs and how, um, how that kind of move factors into uh, where you see them going? 
Yeah, so if you look at their operating or their guidance, and when I, they're really the only mega cap, um, to Mark's point earlier, that really guides uh, even down all the way to the bottom line, we think that this year they're still going to be spending a lot, mostly because of all the hires they did last year and the hires they did in the first half. Um, our concern is really around 2023 um, and where they'll end up guiding. So in its typical fashion, Meta will start guiding to increase in uh, non-GAAP operating expenses on the 3Q call. So it's literally within two months. That will be crucial. We think that what, for the stock to really work, they need to dramatically uh, uh, lower the increase. In other words, have the top line basically mirror the bottom line. This year, they're basically in 2022, they're growing the top line single digits, but they're growing the bottom line at 20% or, or, or a little more. Next year really needs to stabilize and the, follow, the following year it needs to reverse for them to ultimately deliver the operating margin leverage that the street wants them to, 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 to deliver and the free cash flow we need to support the stock that ultimately should trade a lot higher. Yeah. Well, today it's down nearly 7%. Uh, Mark and Yusuf, thank you very much. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Mark Shmulek and Yusuf Scully. Thank you. One more piece of news for Meta. Uh, the FTC suing the company, filing an injunction in federal court to block its acquisition of a relatively small virtual reality company called Within. The regulator says that Meta already is a key player, quote, at each level of the virtual reality sector, owning the top selling device, a leading app store, seven of the most successful developers in the sphere, and one of the best selling apps of all time. FTC chair Lena Khan has promised more action against big tech and clearly does not want another WhatsApp or Instagram or Oculus to go through. Uh, Meta pushback, quote, the FTC's case is based on ideology and speculation. Guys, I couldn't help but smile a little bit listing out all these things that FTC says is the reason why Meta is leading in this space um, because it is just still so early and unproven, John. It's not a space. It's the metaverse. That that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I, I'm critical of the metaverse. It, it's becoming one of my calling cards. But in this case, I'm sort of on, on Meta's side in that how do you have a monopoly over basically nothing? I mean, one of the things that the FTC is saying here is they've got, they've got 400 apps in the app store. 400 apps, Apple trips over 400 apps on the way like to, to feed the dog in the morning. I mean, you, you should be talking in thousands, hundreds of thousands or even millions of apps to be anywhere near significant. So um, this, is, this is odd, Carl, to me, to think that you can regulate an industry into existence. I don't think it works that way. Uh, it definitely adds to the technical uh, hurdles, the financial hurdles, and now the regulatory hurdles. Uh, there's no question, guys, that uh, Mark Zuckerberg has his work cut out for him. Uh, the CEO of Qualcomm's on the other side of this break. Shares are lower on earnings and their 5G delivery handset uh, guidance. Tech Check is just getting started. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. 
The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Get a gut checked on our parent company, Comcast, today. Shares down sharply as Comcast failed to add broadband subs for the first time ever this quarter, now having lost one million video subs in the first six months of 22. Our Julia Borston is back with that, along with some of the metrics on Peacock, too, JB. That's right. Comcast revenue and earnings did top analyst estimates, but that stock down over 9% this morning on disappointing broadband results. The company's flat broadband customers, rather than adding the 84,000 that analysts expected, was attributed to a number of factors, including a pull forward during the pandemic, a slowing of customers moving, plus growing competition from the likes of T-Mobile, which made gains in this space this quarter. Bank of America writing, quote, it feels a little like a, quote, Netflix net ads turns negative moment for broadband. Negativity had been building, but just think optics of it will get more attention and add to already negative cable sentiment. Plus, there's that issue of accelerated cord cutting, thanks to a slew of streaming alternatives to pay TV. But Peacock's, Peacock subscribers were flat, a dramatic halt to the growth of $4 million in the prior quarter. That Peacock uh, division also seeing larger losses than in the year earlier quarter. But NBC Universal, CNBC's parent company, was an overall area of strength with Peacock on track for growth in the second half of the year and theme parks outperforming expectations. John? Thank you. Uh, meanwhile, big news for U.S. semiconductor companies. The Senate sending the CHIPS Act to the House. It's a package that would set aside more than $50 billion for chip production and a tax credit, other incentives for manufacturing. Uh, Qualcomm, meanwhile, out with earnings as well, as we've mentioned, issuing lower than expected guidance for the upcoming quarter, but beating on the top and bottom lines in Q2. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview, Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon. Uh, Cristiano, got a lot that I want to get to, not just the handsets, but also to the Samsung deal that you've got and uh, to auto and IoT. But first, I do want to talk about handsets. Mid and low tier is where you see globally particular weakness. What has happened there and how does 5G factor in? Well, good morning to all of you. We, we, we look at the handsome market right now, and uh, what we, it's a market that probably has been impacted by consumer spending. And, uh, and we brought down uh, slightly down the number of 5G units. You know, we, the market is down for the macro, because of the macroeconomic headwinds. But we have been somewhat insulated by it because our strategy to concentrate on premium and high-tier Android as part of our mobile strategy and share of wallet is really working. 
market. That's why in a market that is not growing, we are growing slightly below 50% still for the fiscal year 22. And uh, when we look up the things that are driving our guide, we do see weakness in the mid and low, but the premium tier has been uh, more uh, resilient. And the big news really is our agreement with Samsung. It actually protect us and, and set us for the long term in the handset market because it's agreement that expand our share and provide a lot of stability for this strategy to be concentrated on premium tier Android Snapdragon platforms. So here's how I'm looking at this Samsung deal and, and tell me where, if anywhere, I've got this wrong. You went from about a 40% share in Galaxy devices to over a 70% share more recently. And this agreement seems to, I don't wanna say lock that in, but make it more likely that you stay near the 70% tier. But perhaps more important, Apple is trying to sort of work you guys you know, 5G modem-wise, out of their product. But this sort of raises the stakes uh, for them in the sense that if they can't get their product as good as yours, right, it's more likely that Samsung is going to have yours and therefore going to be better than them. Uh, do I have that wrong? Well, well, there's a lot in here to unpack. Let's just take one, one at a time. This agreement is actually the most significant thing in the quarter besides a record auto and IoT uh, revenues, which shows the strategy to diversify the company away from handset is working. The reason this agreement is significant because it has two important parts. The first part is it's a renewal of our license, patent license agreement on Samsung all the way to 2030, including upcoming 6G technology. So what that does provide incredible stability for a licensing business revenue stream and provide an incredible benchmark for renewal of license agreement, especially if you think of a market like the United States that the choices are between a Galaxy from Samsung and an iPhone. So that's a very important part. The second part is what it does to our chipset business in mobile. We have been very focused on saying this is a market that is mature uh, we've been focusing on share wallet, in, share wallet, increasing earnings, and flagship, uh, you know, Snapdragon. Remember, when we sell a Snapdragon to a Galaxy phone, for example, it has the same revenue and earnings because of a lot of more processor content than selling a modem to five iPhones. So when we look at this agreement, it basically showed to correct what you said before. So we're expanding share. So we were 75% in the Galaxy S22. When you look at the Galaxy S23, our share is going to be higher. So we're really now able to launch that uh, our platform on Samsung devices globally. Mm. And that's a multi-year agreement. And the last part of that answer is when you ask about uh, Apple. Look, we, we have a great relationship with them. We've been executing on our contract. We stay, we stay behind uh, our 5G modem leadership. So there's always uh, opportunity for Qualcomm as long as technology matters in cellular. I mean, great relationship. Yeah, I mean, but when your partner's trying to leave you, trying to, uh, <laughs> you, you got to perform, uh, I suppose. Uh, well, I, I wanted to ask one, though, on IoT. 
right? Because this is yes. a business, uh, when I sat down with you last quarter at the NICE, I think that overall was growing 61%, still growing in the 30% range. But um, how is that behaving in this macro environment? Are you seeing things like uh, VR headsets that are more consumer leaning, easing off more as the industrial and manufacturing technology continues to be stronger? Look, absolutely. Actually, I think that is really the important thing about the Qualcomm earnings. Uh, there, nothing really changed on the fundamentals of our strategy and the diversification for the company is really working. If you look what's happened in IoT, yes, we, we do see consumer spending weakness. We can't ignore the macroeconomic headwinds, but that has been offset by strength in the enterprise and industrial. And I think that's what we see, we're continuing to grow. And even when we look at our guide uh, for Q4, uh, we're growing 24% year over year. And that's uh, you know because we have uh, IoT, uh, which is being resilient, digital transformation has proven to be resilient uh, to the current environment. And of course, automotive, which we mm -hmm. had $3 billion to the auto pipeline. Yeah, which you guys uh, have done pretty well diversifying into. Uh, Cristiano, good morning, by the way. It's Deirdre. Um, you say you're better insulated from a slowdown in smartphone demand by focusing on the high-end side of the market. But how confident are you that demand will hold up in premium smartphones? Or is it increasingly vulnerable in a slowdown? What are you factoring in? Look, we have to be cautious in line with everybody else when we think about guide. We widen the range because of uh, what we see in the consumer exposure to the microeconomic headwinds. Having said that, the fact that we're concentrated on more in premium and high in shared wallets, when you lose some of the units, that that's what is bringing down uh, the market, which is mid and low, we have less an impact. And as we concentrate more on the processor content, which has been the biggest story about Qualcomm growing revenue and earnings on a market that this only grows single digit, and we're going to be close to 50% year over year, that has proven to be very resilient. So we've been impacted, but not as much because a premium tier and high tier is holding and people, when they go buy a phone, they look to buy a better phone. So we see a mixed uh, uh, improvement over time. Also remember, we just have been the China, uh, the China situation. China has been dealing with lockdowns. And, uh, you know, I think that that's going to bounce back. Managing through less certain times. Cristiano Amon, thank you. Thank you very much. Be sure to tune in tomorrow when we'll be joined by Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger post earnings in a first on CNBC interview. The chips just keep on coming, Carl. Uh, meantime, John, Apple's holding up better than the broader market this year. Should you buy ahead of earnings, we'll discuss as the market continues to applaud at least the notion of a Fed pivot. Session highs, Dow up 160, the two-year yield back to 287. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. In a moment, we'll have more on what ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott had to say about the macro headwinds impacting his business. Uh, the stock's down a little less than 1%. We'll also continue to keep our eye on Meta. Of course, the big print from last night, shares were down 8% earlier, have shaved some of that off. More on how to value that stock in a moment. But first, a news update with Frank Collin. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Carl. Here's your news update for this hour. President Biden says this morning it is no surprise the economy is slowing down as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates in its fight against inflation. But in a written statement, he says the country is on what he calls the right path, with a strong job market and growing consumer spending. He's responding to this morning's gross domestic product report showing the economy shrank by 0.9 percent this spring, its second straight quarterly contraction. About a half an hour from now, the president is scheduled to speak about at the White House about a broad Senate bill that includes provisions to lower drug prices and slow climate change. In a sudden reversal, Senator Joe Manchin agreed to support the filibuster-proof package. Democrats hope to get that passed quickly. And a mixed picture for the jobs market this morning. New claims for unemployment benefits decreased by 5,000 last week, but claims for the previous week were revised upward by 10,000. It's the first time in more than eight months the new claims have topped 250,000 for two straight weeks. That's the very latest. John, back over to you. Thanks, Frank. Let's turn to enterprise software now. ServiceNow trading down this morning about a percent. That's well off the lows, despite an earnings beat and reporting revenue in line with Wall Street expectations. The company's lost about a third of its value year to date, lowered its full year guidance uh, back to levels it first reported in January. CEO Bill McDermott joined Squawk on the street earlier this morning to defend the decision. Take a listen. Given the macro now, we said, let's listen, let's just go back to what we did in January. Given the macro that developed since June, we should probably just go with the original forecast, which is a half a point difference in the RPO, which is the bookings of the company. If that's a, uh, a federal case, you know, then what can I tell you? You might remember uh, shares dropped about 12 percent back on July 12th after Bill made some comments on Mad Money saying that no one's going to outrun the currency right now. D, this is an interesting one, especially given its, its comeback in the early trade, again, down just about yeah. 1% right now. But the company itself, you know, the narrative doesn't seem to have changed. But again, it's this question of how much is this consumer weakness, mostly mm-hmm. weakness in the lower end of, of the consumer uh, the economic spectrum right now. How much is that going to trickle through into Q4 and start affecting businesses that are already kind of cautious? Uh, Bill seems to be kind of pricing that uh, into his guide. Yeah, you know, Bill, he also plays a lot of lip service, pays a lot of lip service to the secular change, says that it's going to outrun this sort of macro weakness um, in the longer term. We hear that from a lot of CEOs, but in his case, the numbers actually back that up. 99% renewal rate, Carl, kind of proves the resiliency of that business model. And this is a stock that's 
you know, less than 10 percent off of its 52-week low, down 30 percent plus for the year, could be a good opportunity um, if you think that even if deals that are slipping now are going to eventually come through. Certainly sounded a lot like uh, Nadella, guys, this morning when we talked to him, uh, in that if you are a large enterprise, you kind of continue to deliver for your clients, even with lower headcount, means you turn to software and productivity. Otherwise, uh, that client experience deteriorates and eventually business disappears, in his view. Let's get to Apple this morning. Stock's been holding up better than the other FANG names this year. But with earnings crossing tonight, could there be weakness ahead? Joining us this morning to talk about it, the impact of supply chain constraints, China, consumer demand, just some of the risks uh, are... uh, Steve Kovac of our own CNBC and Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal. Joanna, do you think the Qualcomm guidance and the Best Buy guidance are harbingers of gloom? I know. I was looking at the Best Buy guidance and thinking, what is going to happen with Apple today? I think, well, I think, first of all, the third quarter is never really a giant quarter for Apple. Now, last year it was because we were still feeling that pandemic bump. We were still seeing big growth in Mac. And I think we're going to hear again today about the growth in Mac. But that's coming the next quarter, right? To really test what consumers are going to go out and buy. That is coming in the next quarter when the iPhone is released up in September. This quarter, again, people usually slow in terms of buying iPhones. They know that the September iPhone Palooza is coming. They know new models are coming. They know price drops on the old models. So wouldn't be surprised right now we don't see huge growth in iPhone. I think the big question really is around Macs and iPads. That's been a big growth area, especially in Macs for Apple. Cook said on last earnings call that 50% of customers coming to the Mac were new customers. So that means big growth from new users of the Mac. And so I think that's an area that, um, you know, computers, computers were big in the pandemic. Are we going to see that slowdown? Yeah. Sure. But are they going to go to Mac? Yeah, Steve, I know you were watching Logitech earlier in the week. And uh, behold, you don't need to get a new headset every year, as you said. I guess the question is, does that expand to actual equipment? Yeah, that's right, Carl. And look, to Joanna's point, look, you can't have an iPhone Palooza in the fall without China. So, like, the big thing that we got to be looking for in this report is how bad was China for Apple in this last quarter? We already know they warned those COVID shutdowns are going to have four to eight billion dollar hit to revenue. Was it closer to that eight billion dollar figure or that four billion dollar figure? And I'm curious to hear Cook's comments on how confident he is in that supply chain in China. You know, earlier in the year, he said he was still very confident about it ahead of those COVID shutdowns. But since then, last quarter, we saw them shifting production around China out of that Shanghai corridor where a lot of the shutdowns were happening. We saw them move some iPhone 13 production to India. So is he still confident in that supply chain because their destiny is tied to the whims of China? And if there's another wave and another lockdowns, how do they navigate that? Right. And at the same time, Joanna, uh, good morning, by the way, Apple shares are up 15 percent this month alone. What is the market pricing in here? That is way more than the other mega caps. Is any kind of disappointment talking about those China issues? What about services? Where's Apple vulnerable here? Well, first of all, Steve, we can always have an iPhone Palooza. But yes, China is definitely going to take a hit at that if those lockdowns continue. Um, I think that goes, Deirdre, to the to sort of the stability of this of this company and the fact that there's been consecutive product increase in introductions. The um, as we talked on the show many times about the stability and the growth in the chip business for Apple um, as services. Certainly, I believe will probably you know, my favorite game to play on Apple earnings is how many times is Cook going to say services? We're certainly going to hear about that today. We'll certainly hear about that 
progression and the uh, the Emmy nominations for uh, Apple TV Plus, and as they're thinking about bundles and more on that coming into the fall. Um, but I think that really overall, it really goes to the stability of the company and also that growth that we've seen in numerous categories for the company, not just the iPhone, diversifying away from the iPhone. Steve, uh, when I look at Apple in this particular quarter, which I think is kind of an inventory management quarter, uh, how much are they selling down heading into a new iPhone introduction at the end of calendar Q3 into Q4? I mean, they're gaining share in PCs with the Mac. They've got considerable control over their supply chain. Uh, we just heard from Cristiano Amon that there's relative strength in the premium tier of the smartphone category, which is the only tier where Apple plays. I mean, if anybody's got a chance to buck the macro here, isn't it Apple? Yeah, and you want to talk about inventory management here. Uh, just uh, later this week, they're going to put a discount on the iPhone 13 for a few days in China to kind of goose sales. So people are reading a lot into that, John. And then, uh, like Joanna was alluding to, this is going to be a big quarter to test what we heard from Microsoft about this, quote, deteriorating PC demand. Does that impact those new Macs that came out in this current quarter? And will we see that demand soften for the high end of those these really pricey MacBooks? Or is this really only a PC problem for the Dells and HPs of the world? Finally, Joanna, much longer term, uh, this headline that crossed yesterday, Apple taps Lamborghini executive to work on its electric car. Do you see that, that needle moving? I mean, are we making progress on figuring out exactly what they have in mind? I like the needle. The, I mean, certainly Lamborghini, hopefully the needle's going to go all the way to the top on this future Apple car. Um, but this is such a long way out. I mean, there has been nothing but reports over the last number of months about the troubles the company's had in terms of building this car, uh, issues about uh, the information at a great report about incidents and accidents they've had with self-driving. So uh, certainly people are thinking about what is that next big thing. We definitely are going to hear about that headset before we hear about this car. Uh, guys, we'll see what the week number we get in about, uh, well, four hours, four and a half hours. Guys, thank you, Joanna and Steve. John. Well, speaking of numbers, let's get a gut check on Teladoc today. And it's not a good checkup. That stock is down more than 19%, a $3 billion impairment charge this quarter, helping to tank that stock. You remember Teladoc announced a $6.3 billion impairment charge last quarter, bringing that total to nearly $10 billion of losses in just the first half of 2022. Goldman, one of the many downgrades this morning, cutting its buy rating to neutral and its price target to 36 from 55. Teladoc down about 75% so far this year, D. Ouch. And you know who that really hurts, John, is ARC, still the fourth largest holding. And speaking of which, we're going to be talking to Kathy Wood on Friday. After the break, how investors should value Meta. We are back in just two. Shares got to 154 this morning, currently trying to defend 160. For more on how investors might think about valuing the stock, Dom Chu joins us today. Hey, Dom. It is one of those scenarios where that precipitous fall that we've seen since the record highs for Meta has resulted in a market cap destruction that many investors are trying to handicap around whether or not it's possibly a bottom or if there's more downside to come. And the earnings last night 
kind of gave a little bit more food for thought. So remember, at the height that we saw here just within the last year, we are talking about a $1.1 trillion market valuation. And then today, closer to just around $435 billion in terms of market cap. So that, that move has been a huge, huge catalyst for whether or not there is value in a beaten up name like this. If you take a look at the valuation perspective as to what you're paying right now for every dollar of next year's anticipated earnings per analyst estimates, at the height over the course of the 10 years, we are talking about a company that traded at 58 times next year's expected earnings. Right now, it's closer to around 14 times next year's earnings. And even during the depths of the pandemic, this was still a stock that was 16 times with a forward P.E. So that gives you an idea of kind of how the valuations have compressed over the course of the last 10 years. If you look at the analyst commentary, it is interesting just to see some of the overnight commentary and the, the, the numbers that are coming out here. We're talking about a $233 average target price right now per fact set. That implies 48% potential upside. There are still 70% of analysts who cover this stock that say it's a buy rating and maybe not a surprise there. If it's fallen so much right now, it still should be a buy, but it's been that way for a while. In the last year, in the last two years, it was as high as 88% buy. So very much a consensus still building around there. And as for some of the overnight commentary headlines-wise, to give you an idea of what analysts are looking at right now, Goldman Sachs' team says macro headwinds replace privacy headwinds. That's one of their headlines there. City analysts say 3Q guidance highlights weakening advertising demand, something we're watching for many of these Internet names. And then Evercore ISI says probably still a classic DHQ, in other words, a dislocated market cap kind of aside here, dislocated high-quality stock a stock that should be high quality and has those characteristics, but has been trading at a deep discount. So, John, as we watch some of the analyst commentary, the investors out there are trying to figure out whether a 14 times forward P.E. in a dislocated high quality stock is still one where they can say, hey, maybe this is a time to start nibbling or if this is a falling knife scenario and you still want to catch it at this point, John. Either way, Dom, it's one that investors can't coast on. No coasting. No, I see what you did there. I see what you did (laughs) On Meta. Thanks, Dom. You got it. After the break, is it time to shop for Etsy? Stops up big on results, but cut in half on the year. Plus, what do those numbers signal, if anything, for Amazon? That is next. Stay with us. Now, formerly in the green, and check out shares of Etsy. Big pop post-earnings after a beat on the top and bottom lines. 10% revenue growth this quarter, boosted by an increase in ad sales and higher transaction fees. As you see, shares are up more than 10%, though the stock has been cut in half this year. And its earnings report really makes it an outlier in the retail and e-commerce space. This past week, we saw Shopify and Walmart feeling the effects of a consumer demand slowdown and the normalization of rapid growth toward pre-pandemic levels. We will see this afternoon how Amazon is holding up against these headwinds. Um, I guess the question is, guys, it feels like Amazon has already had a handle on a lot of these issues for a quarter already. They've been subleasing millions of square feet of warehouse space, sending some leases, thinning out their warehouse workforce, John. Um, So will it be in a better position? Was it enough? Yeah, I'm not sure there's much of a read through to, to Amazon from Etsy in the sense that Etsy was able to raise some prices on merchants uh, and that sort of helped things. Um, we'll see if merchants expect them to deliver a little bit more in services to, to, make, uh, to make that worth it. And then also, Carl, when it comes to costs, 
there are just some things that Amazon's going to have to deal with when it comes to speed of delivery. They've got transportation costs. They've got fuel costs to deal with. We sort of have a signal perhaps from Microsoft on how the cloud will be. But overall, when you've got the macro situation we have, uh, I, I don't know if you expect really, you know, if you guide to really, really healthy uh, spending on e-commerce. You probably don't. Uh, yeah, Etsy, uh, some analysts, I think, argue today they're a bit of a carve out. Uh, Bernstein says they've hung on to their COVID bump better than most peers and continues to prove a quarter of the time that it does have real staying power, D, even with some of these macro challenges. One more thing on Amazon, right? Uh, Street's going to be focused on the cloud, especially after pretty good results from Google and Microsoft. But key here, Amazon's cloud um, growth is slowing. It is the number one player, um, but less enterprise focused, right? So will that come in a little bit softer than expected? Um, it's been this profit engine and this sort of reliable growth engine as well, Carl. So investors are going to be looking closely there. Uh, yeah, the multiples definitely reflect that. We'll see what happens. Still to come this morning, how investors may want to play Intel, uh, the chip maker reporting after the market close, as we have erased not only a pretty deep loss, but are sitting at session highs, S&P 4055. Welcome back. Intel reports after the bell today. CEO Pat Gelsinger is going to join the show tomorrow. Of course, we just spoke with Qualcomm's Cristiano Amon a few minutes ago, so we're going to get a good view of the chips. Margins for Intel are going to be a major focus uh, for investors on earnings. And, of course, beyond PCs and data center, where Intel mainly plays in chips, we've gotten mainly upbeat guidance from Texas Instruments, which sees strong demand continuing from its customers and from NXP, particularly in autos. Now, all of this comes as the Senate has approved funding for the CHIPS Act, which is aimed at boosting domestic chip production, sending it to the House, where suddenly it faces a tougher fight than we thought yesterday. House Republican leadership now urging its members not to vote against the bill because of the deal that Democrats look like they're getting done on spending thanks to uh, Senator Joe Manchin's about face. So we'll see if there's any more clarity on that by tomorrow when Pat joins us. Um, a little unclear, Dee. Yeah. By the way, I liked her on the other hand this morning, John, on the Chips Act. Thank you. Also happening tomorrow, don't miss the CNBC special, The Tech Trade. I will be sitting down with ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, for an exclusive interview. That's tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, right here in San Francisco, capping off a critical week of big tech earnings. NASDAQ on track for a 2% plus gain this week. We will be right back. Got a hearing this morning on Three Arrows Capital, that crypto-focused hedge fund that went bankrupt. Our Kate Rooney has more on that this morning. Hey, Kate. Hey, Carl. Yeah, a couple headlines from that Three Arrows hearing this morning. First, liquidators still don't know where the founders are. An attorney representing the team in charge of the Three Arrows liquidation says Kyle Davies and Suzu are not cooperating despite giving media interviews. To date, creditors have submitted claims for more than $2.8 billion. That number is expected to increase significantly. And so far, the courts have obtained a small percentage of that, about $40 million in Three Arrows assets. This case involves the Southern District of New York, British Virgin Islands and Singapore. There were some calls for cooperation across those different jurisdictions. Three Arrows was a $10 billion fund, guys. It's collapsed 
started with Terra and Luna, defaulted on loans to Voyager and Celsius and a couple others. Its biggest creditor right now is Genesis. It still owes that firm more than $2 billion. Back to you. Uh, meantime, if it can get back, if Bitcoin can get above 24K, take you back to June 13th. Big night tonight for earnings. That does it for Tech Check. Let's get to the judge in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.